telling stories from the EGA Clubhouse. All right, everybody, welcome to the EGA Clubhouse. Today, we're telling stories with Brian Eimer from Images and Sound. Uh, Brian is a longtime veteran, nearly 40 years in the audio business. Um, he started um, Images and Sound in 2004 after having already had a career that was nearly two decades. So uh, welcome, Brian. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. Thanks. So tell us a little bit, we'll, we'll get into kind of the whole origin story, but um, but tell us a little bit about uh, just the, the sort of highlights of images and sound, uh, sort of where you're located and what you guys do. Sure thing. So we are a full post-production facility located in the entertainment district in downtown Toronto. Um, we've been in this facility now since uh, Images was started in 2004, and then we moved into our current location in 2006. And we have a theatrical dubbing stage, iMac dubbing stage, as well as a couple of TV dubbing stages and some edit suites, as well as our picture post uh, department as well. So you guys really have a, a whole sort of wide spectrum of services uh, regarding audio and localization. Yes, exactly. We... Uh, we do full audio post-production for, you know, locally uh, produced series, uh, internationally produced series. But we also do a lot of localization for uh, our work in IMAX. We do a lot of large format films. I've been working in that industry since the early 90s, late 80s. And uh, because of the, the location of the theater network around the world, we've been able to do localization for a lot of our films as well as other films converting into multiple languages um, uh, for delivery to, to foreign territory. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit that of all the members that we have, uh, over 100 uh, member companies, you're, you're the only one that really advertises as localizing for um, for IMAX and large format. So it's a very unique and, and for sort of niche uh, thing, but it's, yeah. it's interesting, yeah. Yeah, no, it's an interesting format to work in because it is the first immersive format that came out back, uh, you know, in the expo, the 67 days. Um, so with the large image as well as, as the large theaters, the way they're set up, um, you know, working in, in IMAX has always been a great treat because of the detail and the subtlety that gets, you know, that get that you have to put into those types of films. And then because most of the most of the content in the early days anyway was based in natural history and science, because the IMAX and theater network was being uh, mostly uh, put into institutions like science centers and, and zoos and other uh, places like that. Uh, it really, it really gave, gives you sort of a challenge when you're localizing because of the terminology and making sure that the science is correct, no matter what language is speaking. So the big challenge in, in those types of films is just making sure uh, that the science you're relaying is, is accurate uh, in all the different languages that we're producing. Uh, one film that I did has, uh, I, I mixed 22 different languages for, uh, I think it's the most I've ever done, but uh it's uh, it's based on dinosaurs, and so there's a lot of uh, science that goes into archaeology and, and fossils and, and the Latin names of all the dinosaurs and stuff to make them accurate. So it's it's a, can be a bit of a challenge, but we have great uh, theater part our museum partners in the different territories that we deliver to. So we're able to sort of uh, take a translated script and just put it in front of them for for verification before we go ahead and, and produce the language version. 
but uh, I love the format. I, I I think that you know that much subtlety and and that much immersiveness, both visually as well, because the screen is so big that it takes up your peripherals. So it really gives you a sense of being inside the story. It's a, it's a lot of fun to work in. So what would be some? Where would be some films that you've worked on that we could see? Where would be some? What are some of the films that you can talk about that uh, we could find around the world? Sure. Uh, well, um, the, one of the ones I finished just at the beginning of 2020 when, when things started to get a little difficult um, was the Dinosaurs of the Antarctic. Um, it was a, a great film that was produced by Giant Screen Films out of Chicago uh, with the Field Museum in Chicago as well. That one's been re-released, obviously, because theaters had to shut down. Um, I worked on a, uh, a film called uh, Ancient Caves, which is a uh, it's a flat screen, but they basically, the filmmakers for that film uh, really embraced the dome uh, locations because there are dome theaters as well. So, and it, it plays really well. Imagine going into a deep, dark cave uh, and, and the science that it contains uh, on a dome screen. So you could look all the way up and around and, and you're surrounded by this beautiful image of these caves. Um I've done probably in, in the 36 years I've been doing this, I've, I've probably done about 24 to 36 large format films. Um, so there's quite a few, depending on, like there's one that's being re-released in, in China that's uh, based on the pandas conservation that's going on in China right now. A um, couple of cons, another conservation one called Back from the Brink, which is uh, being re-released in, uh, in U.S. theaters. So it's, uh, it, it depends. Each theater will lease their own subject that sort of pertains to what maybe uh, what the institution might be showing as exhibits uh, or some sort of a theme or depending on how they want to fill up and theme their, their, uh, their show times and their calendars in the theater. So um, there's, uh, I can just draw a blank of all the ones that I've <laughs> <Okay>. done. <laughs> So, so tell me how, how did you um, get into this? How did you, cause it's, it is a fairly unique discipline. It is a fairly niche discipline. Yeah. Um, what was, I, I imagine like a lot of these things, it comes with one client and then you kind of get a name for yourself and, but maybe talk us through that process a little bit. Yeah, totally. So um, it is a very unique format. And when I first started in the industry, the company that I, the studio that I first started at, they had embraced because IMAX, itself was founded in by Canadians in Canada and the actual headquarters for IMAX is about uh, an hour from my studio in Toronto in, in Mississauga so the Toronto studios kind of had a leg up so the one I, I started at they produced uh, one of the original uh, IMAX films and Cinesphere was, in Toronto was the first permanent large format theater um, in the world. So um, we moved, or back then I wasn't part of the company, but the founders of the company had moved basically a whole dubbing stage into the Cinesphere. They took a couple rows of seats and stuff and they mixed uh, inside there. And that relationship with IMAX carried on. And as, as the industry grew and more filmmakers became a part of it, it became not just you know IMAX as the main sort of distribution producer of these films, other, other companies started uh, creating these films, McGilvery Freeman in LA, uh, Giant Screen Films in, uh, in Chicago. Um, Nat Geo had a large format department as well. Now it's Cosmic Picture. So uh, a lot of uh, nature or natural history companies started to get into the large format uh, 
uh, game. So the more I produce titles and the more people could understand, you know, it's, it's all about experience and, and maximizing the, the environment and maximizing the format because it is such an immersive uh, format. So um, being able to sort of uh, clients would, would that I find they contact me because they, you know, they've seen my work and they sort of, trust that I understand the format and how to maximize the experience for, for audiences um, that way. Um, so I basically word of mouth as well as, I, you know, there's a couple of conferences every year where filmmakers come and they show their works and they pitch their works and that kind of thing. So um, meeting up there uh, has sort of been uh, sort of the way I get, uh, I get sort of introduced, introduced to new clients. So, so let's shift gears for a second and talk about, working in Canada today, because there's some, there's some circumstances that make it very appealing, right? So in other words, mm-hmm. there's the, there's the exchange rate between the, the U S dollar or the Euro and the Canadian dollar. Um, and then there's uh, there's also some uh, tax credits, I believe, or tax incentives. Uh, and then I, I think also there's a, a great talent pool, particularly in, in Toronto where you're based. So, Maybe you could just speak to those things. What are some of the the pluses of of, of taking projects to Canada? Well, you, you pretty much marked. Uh, you pretty much spoken about most of them. Um, we do have uh, a good uh, rate on our Canadian dollars. So, as if you're if you're used to paying in U.S. dollars, it's a thirty percent savings that way. And then there's there is a different sets of Canadian tax credits depending on what work you're doing in Canada. So if you're if it's just a service contract, you get tax credits. You can get a service tax credit on the work that you do in in, in Canada. Uh, and then there's there's other depending if you're doing CGI and all those that kind of work as well. So um, the tax credit system is 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 tailored towards the amount of work and how it's going to be carried out in Canada. So that's available. And then we do have a huge talent pool. I mean, we are Hollywood North, so we've got lots of creative talent up here we uh, we have access to. So um, as well as we have a, a very strong, diverse population in order to get to different cultures as well. So you, you have a lot of expats from different countries around the world, which depending on the type of project for localization, you can tap into that. So um if if you wanted to do, let's say, a international French version of something, we have, uh, you know, talent that has emigrated from France. So we can get that sort of international uh, thing as well as, uh, you know, India, Pakistan, the Asian countries. So we have a strong, diverse population that we can tap into. But we do have, uh, you know, very strong um, acting um population here obviously because uh, yeah. you know being hollywood north and having a lot of shooting that happens uh here for yeah. uh, for international productions yeah and do you have um do you have uh i want to say this politely but i want to <laughs> i want to get the answer <laughs> which is do you have enough neutral accents so enough english speakers that have um, maybe a little less of the canadian uh charm absolutely and, yeah. and yeah, absolutely and the main reason i would say that is because one of the things that that the Canadian entertainment industry has had to adapt to is becoming a neutral, like making sure that the neutral accents are there. You know, in my years doing post-production on many projects, you know, coming from the States uh, as well as globally, 
is that we do a lot of uh, replacement of dialogue in English just to take out Canadian accents. So a lot of uh, Canadian actors um, understand that it's better to just perform with a neutral accent than to uh, than to have to redub it all in ADR later on down the road when we get into post-production. So the Canadian actors uh, really understand uh, neutral accents and making sure that they speak with a neutral accent, especially with so much American production happening in Canada and the city. So uh, that's that's sort of in, entrenched in us as we move forward. So yeah. um, we, ha- we have a lot of neutral accents in, in, in the different languages we do as well, right? So... Yeah. Um, we, tell me we, a little. We, be, we can. Tell me a little bit more about that. The the tax credit. So is it is it tr- x amount of dollars get spent and there's a rebate or um, so yeah what's the actual uh, mechanism of it? Well, to be honest with you, I haven't done a I haven't done a whole lot recently, and I know it's changed slightly. But basically, the the one that typically evolves around my my type of work is. The, uh, the service tax credit, and it's usually up to 65% of like the overall budget, 65% of it you count as labor and the other portion you count as the facility. So you can only claim it on the labor portion. And um, it, it's, there's, a, there's a fee to submit. So there's, you have to make sure that the threshold of submitting for a tax credit is gonna be worthwhile. So if you're gonna spend, let's, say $5,000 to submit. And I'd have to double check what the new rate is for that. But if you're going to check, if you're going to pay $5,000 to submit a tax credit, make sure that you're going to get more than that back because then obviously you have to, uh, uh, you have to make it worth your while at that point. And then the way it would work would be that you would then assign the tax credit to the facility like mine so that when it eventually gets approved, it comes to me. And then I, but in the interim, I give an immediate, reduction on the costs of doing the dub and the doing the work. So you would benefit right away, not having, because there is uh, a bit of a timeline once you submit the tax credit to actually collecting the tax credit. But what I do is I rebate uh, the dub right away so that you don't have to wait for that. You just reassign your tax credit to me so that when it gets approved, it comes in. I see. So it's something that if I'm a, if I'm a producer or a production company or a, if I if I take the work to you, I'm not waiting six or eight months or twelve months for that for that rebate. I'm I'm assigning it to you. You give it you. I effectively see it in the immediate billing, and then and then you get it on the back end, basically. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's that's the most efficient way to work for everybody. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, it certainly makes it very compelling. Um, so talk a little bit. I know that you're in the process of, of starting to expand your service offering and looking at more at English dubbing, audio description and things like that. You know, I mean, what, what about those services is interesting to you? Is it just, uh, you feel like there's just a demand for that. And so therefore um, you're, you're just kind of going where the clients want to take you. Yeah, it's a part, a part of that. I mean, I've always been interested in dubbing. I mean, it's always, it's always a, a, a big, um, interest to me, to me to make a dub feel like the original language. So you can't really tell that it's a dub. And I, I, I really embrace that challenge. When I'm working on large format, those, the screens are so big and the images are so clean that, that you know, there's no, there's no room for, for soft lip sync and, and stuff like that. So 
just uh, a lot. And then the other part of it is that there's such a demand now for that service that, you know, we have the experience because we've done it in large format for many, many years. It just seemed like a logical, logical progression for us to sort of now take it more into the mainstream uh, streaming services and broadcasters and those types of things. So, um, you know, a love for doing the work is, is what sort of, you know, brought us this direction. But uh, also seeing the demand now made it uh, made it even more sort of uh, obvious, uh, an obvious uh, move for us to sort of get into mainstream streaming dubbing. Yeah. Yeah. I have to compliment you because, you know, I know that your background is really in engine, you know, audio engineering and sort of a creative process, but you've, you've managed to, um, I think, build a really great business and be a great business owner. Um, so what, what did you have to learn to be good at it? And, you know, and what did you struggle with as you were, as you were getting started? Um, I think for me, you know, the one thing that I learned is, is how to really embrace sort of the immersiveness of the soundtracks that we're creating and be able to sort of do something that uh, anybody who listens to it, any audience member who listens to it comes out and just goes, wow. It's always been sort of about the wow factor for me and sort of next level what's taking things to the next level and next level and next level and and that's kind of what what really drives me is just you know making better more interesting um exciting soundtracks for our audience and you know one of the one of the things that you know is sort of you know one of the things that i've sort of had to struggle with a little bit is just figuring out you know direction and, and understanding the you know there's certain things within business that that I had to uh, sort of learn on the fly and experiment with just like everybody else does and uh, figuring out what not to do and what doesn't really work and and uh, you know recoup you know re recover from that and uh, you know turn things around and uh, and learn from your mistakes and that kind of thing can you can you single out a single a single mistake that you that you learned a lot from, but that at the moment was, was pretty painful. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that most of, you know, in early in my career, I was all about doing the work, doing the work and, and doing the best work possible. And I, I didn't really focus as much on client relations as I should have. And uh, sometimes I, I came off as a little, uh, a little sort of dismissive and, and uh, maybe a little sort of not as collaborative as I could have been. So in the, in the beginning, I lost a couple of clients because, uh, because of that. But, uh, you know, that's sort of a growing thing that I've had to do. And I, I think I'm a lot better now. <laughs> it's, uh, you, know, I, you know, just as more you work with people and the more you sort of, you know, bring in other ideas and collaborate, I just found that the, the benefit is being more collaborative. So, uh, You obviously have been doing this a long time. Um, you're coming up on 20 years with your current company. What, when you wake up in the morning, you know, what gets you excited? You obviously, you still turn up to work every day uh, and you probably have yeah. had lots of opportunities over the years to, sell the company or do other things. So what, what, uh, what keeps you ticking? Uh, I'm just, I get really excited about the projects I work on. I just, you know, I'm working on a nature documentary right now, a feature documentary. And 
it's just being able to create those soundscapes and those and that sound design that tells the story like because each each nature documentary or even drama if you're getting into feature films they all have their unique stories and the question that you know constantly asking yourself how can i help tell this story and that's what gets me jazzed is you know the, the the different elements and the textures and the different subtleties that i put into a soundtrack um to help tell that story and help those audiences connect with the characters or connect with the subject matter uh as they watch the film uh, so that uh you know they come out of it being you know having an experience felt like feeling like they've had an experience that they've either learned something or they've been touched by somebody's story or you know whatever the case may be by the filmmaker that's the part i get jazzed of um even films that i worked on you know in the early 90s um you watch again when they come around because there's special showing or something and you, and you just go wow it's like it's still got the impact that that i hoped it would when i first put those things together so for me, that's what gets me jazzed. It's just, you know, constantly, you know, improving on my craft and trying new things and, and uh, telling the stories the best way I can, you know. Um, yeah. Do, do you think you, you've actually occupied an interesting space in entertainment the last two years? Because um, while like consumption has been record high because of the, the pandemic and COVID and people being at home, um, that's really not been true for what your core business is, which is sort of still going into a theater. Um, do you think that there's going to be this snapback where um, people are going to want to come to these really big spectacle kind of experiences because they've just been denied for two years? Are you, are you already seeing this kind of appetite for these kind of events? And um same with like, you know, you see even like Madison Square Garden had the sphere and they sort of had to kind of slow it down a little bit, I think, you know, during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, but but do you expect it? To, are you are you bullish on it? Do you think it's going to come back pretty strong? Yeah, I totally do. I, I think based on uh, on what you mentioned and the fact that people are just itching to get out, they're itching to be in theaters and see big, big sound, big picture again. And uh, we've already kind of seen that. I was at, a, at the a Giant Screen Cinema Association conference uh, just in March, a couple weeks ago. And theaters were reporting that they're selling shows out and, and that people are coming back, whether there's a capacity limit or not, they're selling shows out. So I think, I think there's a big pent up, let's get out and let's do stuff uh, and see stuff on the big screen. I think, you know, the quality of stuff on streaming is, is awesome and it's great. But I think there is something to, and even with, you know, Christopher Nolan shooting an IMAX now, a lot more uh, Hollywood directors are shooting in large format. And I'm not just pushing the large format thing, but that's kind of a world, theatrical world that I live in the most. But um, they're shooting in large format as well. And, and, and people are going and seeing the Batman in IMAX. And they're seeing, you know, these big, these big films in, in large format. So I think there's, I think there's not only a traditional uh, large um, traditional theaters are seeing people just a pent up wanting to get out and as well as as well as the large format ones. And I think that, you know, talking to talking about, you know, Dolby Atmos, uh, it's such an immersive experience that I think whether you're going to see the Batman in large format or whether you're going to see the Batman in a Dolby Atmos uh, Dolby Vision theater, 
it's that experience is just what people are now striving, you know, thirsty for and and trying to get out and, and see. So I think there's going to be a snapback. It may settle down in a few years once people have been there, done that. But I think in the short term, I think there's going to be a huge, uh, a huge demand to get out and, and go to theaters again, for sure. Awesome. Brian Eimer, owner, senior sound uh, designer, images and sound. Thank you so much. Awesome talking to you and, uh, awesome. and uh, look forward to seeing the next thing that comes out of your, uh, your facility. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Chris, for having me. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Telling Stories from the Clubhouse. Join us next week as we discuss more topics and tales about sharing stories with the world. 